Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 27 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. I have a special guest on the show today. He got the wrestling world buzzing several weeks ago as rumors of his impending arrival in Ring of Honor swirled. And over the weekend, we saw those rumors confirmed when he showed up on ROH TV. He is EC3. EC3, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on your forum of discussion. The essential character is here to see if honor is real. Well, I have to say, as someone who has known you for nearly a decade now, uh, but also speaking just as a wrestling fan, as well as someone who works for Ring of Honor, I am thrilled to have you in ROH. Because I I think a lot of fans assumed that you had re-signed with Impact because you showed up on Impact. Uh, but obviously that's not the case. So I'm just going to, first question is going to be, what is your contract status at this point? My contract status is to solely control the narrative, control my narrative, control your narrative. That is not just a lifestyle. That is a mission and a goal. So contractually I'm obliged to only one entity and that is myself. Now with impact, there was a story to be told. There was a, and a catharsis I needed before I could move on to other things in my career. So by going back to impact, I had to destroy, destroy my past, so to speak. I had to, every part of resentment and anger and uh, just loathing I had about who I was and what I became, I had to put an end to where it started, which was with impact wrestling. But as we've seen this week, I'm here to see if honor is real. Well, absolutely. You mentioned your past, and uh, certainly you have no past in in Ring of Honor. This is a new frontier for you. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Your 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 first impression of uh, you, you've been in you've been around the locker room for a little bit now. We said we saw you uh, debut on TV last week. What is your first impression of the Ring of Honor roster? The first impression is kind of hard to dictate at this moment, just due to the restrictions right here too because of the coronavirus pandemic. So in usual form of getting to know not only your colleagues, but also your opponents, there's not a lot of interaction between myself and anybody else on the roster. So it's been a hard segue because I do like to study people's characters. I do like to watch them when they think they are be watched. I like to observe them in their natural climate. I like to see how they change faces, so to speak, when they discuss things with other people. I like to get to know people. I like to get inside their minds a little bit. So it's been hard due to these restrictions. I mean, obviously, Ring of Honor is the best wrestling in the world. That is a no-brainer. Easy to see that. But not having the interactions with colleagues slash opponents, it's been kind of a hard transition because it's part of my game is very... Uh, subliminal and mental. 
Well, I know that in your uh, debut, you brushed up against the Briscoes, also Shane Taylor. Let me first ask you about the Briscoes. Had you ever crossed paths with them before? Obviously, you're familiar with who they are. Uh, that's a no-brainer. But have you, have you ever met them before uh, you did at TV? There was a time in a past life where I believe the venue was called Florida Championship Wrestling. And I believe the Briscoes were in to maybe do business, maybe get a tryout, maybe get a look. And uh, we interacted multiple times there. And the old fun-loving, uh, friendly party boy me was a big fan because they're just, they're two wild country boys. They're, they're, they're cool like that. And then they came in and they blew the doors off with the, their trial matches. They're incredible talents. We know that. I guess it never worked out, but I have interacted them in a past life, in a past territory. Well, let me ask you also about Shane Taylor. Now, I know both of you guys are from the Cleveland area. So would I be correct in assuming that at some point you, you must have crossed paths on an indie show or something? Shane Taylor and I actually have a storied history that nobody really knows about due to that Cleveland connection. Uh, I was kind of on my way out of the Cleveland scene embarking on this great journey uh, through professional wrestling that I'm on. At the time, he was kind of coming into his own, coming up through the Indies, starting uh, through Absolute Intense Wrestling, Firestorm Pro Wrestling, local places around in the Cleveland, Erie, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh vicinity. So I've known him very well. I think um, the man who originally trained me has had a hand in training him. Uh, we were close in a sense because he was always, he was young, he was hungry, and I always appreciated that. And he wanted to get better and improve and move on. And he's done a great job with that. So part of me is very proud of the man he became as far as a professional and making the noise he's made. He's been a champion here, I believe. Like he's really put himself on the map. And then the other part of me is kind of dissuaded by his overall attitude towards things. But at the same time, I've never stepped foot in his shoes. I've never lived his life. I, I don't know how I would act if I've been through what he's been through or vice versa. So, but yeah, Shane and I do have a history. I think with you and Shane, it could almost be one of those things where you're too alike and too similar perhaps to get along and be in the same place at the same time, because much like yourself, Shane has created his own narrative and, and kind of grabbed a hold of his career when, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't getting, the, the proper oppor the opportunities or, you know, the quote unquote push, he kind of just seized that opportunity and made it happen. Very similar to what you've been doing. Well, nobody's ever going to give it to you. And if you, if they give it to you, you'll never truly appreciate it. You have to take it. And that's one thing I do respect about what Shane has done. He's controlled his narrative. Well, and we're going to talk a lot about controlling your narrative uh, as, as we continue this discussion. First, I want to ask you, though, about, um, look, we're not going to, on the Art Strong podcast, we do not uh, criticize any other promotions. This is not what that's about. But I do think that you're going to enjoy the creative freedom in Ring of Honor that perhaps you may not have had in other places that you've worked. That's really of the utmost importance to you at this point in your career, isn't it? Isn't that what creating your narrative is all about? It's the only thing I thrive on in this industry anymore is being able to 
not only tell stories, so to speak, I don't care, know if I care for that quote as much as tell my story, tell my story my way. I know me better than anybody knows me. I'm the absolute best me that exists because I'm the only one. I feel that is, yeah. I don't think it's creative freedom as much as creative liberty to be able to express yourself, the freedom to act, the freedom to think, the freedom to speak, the freedom to feel, the freedom to perform how you want to perform. There's a huge, gigantic, massive upside to being here. And uh, I believe you're correct. There's times in my career I was not in control of my narrative, not at all. And 14 people slapping at a typewriter don't know me and don't want to know you either. Well, as one of those people, I guess, who used to schlep at the typewriter, I don't know that that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's true for everyone. I think uh, no, some of not. us want to get to know who, who people are. I, I think. To, okay, to be fair, that was out of context in a sense or misspoken <laughs> because so many of the keyboard slappers do actually want to get to know you and get to know you and talk to you and engage in you and listen to you when you have your ideas and things of that nature. It's just the fact they don't do them because they have to run them up the chain and they have to do one person's vision of their creation too. So yeah, I apologize. No, no, no. And I rarely apologize. No apologize. You're right. I should never apologize. That's right. And no apology necessary. I think we both know, uh, the system, you know, that that's in place in, uh, in certain places. And, um, and you're right. But look, I will concede this as well. No writer, um, I don't care how, how good they think they are or how much they try to be in tune with talent. You know, there's, there's no question that no one is going to know you or your character or the real you or whatever better than you do. And, and I can sit down and say, I'm going to write this promo and hand it to this talent, have them, you know, it's been approved. Um, so every word literally has been approved and go memorize it and say it. I, can, I know for a fact that that's not, um, you know, I, I mean, some people I think like to work that way. A lot of others don't. And uh, I'm not going to know you better than you and neither is anyone else. So, you know, I, I think your point's well taken. That is true, though, but to defend you, collaboration is a key to success. And then there's sometimes you're a very creative individual and you see things one way while I'm seeing them in another. And then if we're coming up with an idea, you may bring something to my attention that I negated or forgotten about or couldn't even see clearly and bring something even better out of me because of your insight and your knowledge and your creativity. So you're good, too. <laughs> Well, thank you. And yeah, I think collaboration is also an important part of it. And I think that's what you're going to see um, in Ring of Honor is that it is a true collaboration. Um, and, and the talent, though, is given a lot of freedom to to take their vision and make it play out and express themselves. And not that it's carte blanche, you know, where you just say, OK, go do whatever you want. I mean, there's still there's still um, a system in place and there's still certain things we stories we want to tell. Um, but there's that canvas in a way, uh, no pun intended, the, the metaphorical uh, canvas is, uh, is sort of theirs, it's sort of blank uh, for you to help create. And, um, and I know as, as I'm sure as a talent, and I've talked to lots of talents about it, that really I think for most people, that's the way they like 
they like to work with that collaboration with their input um appreciated and uh and taken into account so taken into account and at least heard it doesn't mean it's going to happen and that's okay right. too because let's be honest a lot of talent aren't that creative <laughs> they're not hey i got this great idea where i become the champion and i beat everybody it's not really a good idea <laughs> i mean you know what i mean have, so, you, ever, have, have you ever heard the story that uh Former WWE head writer Brian Gewertz has told about uh, Hardcore Holly. I feel like I have, but if you want to reiterate it, I'd love yeah, to hear it again. I feel like I got this great idea. I've become yeah. the champ and beat everybody. Yeah, so this was yeah. before I got to WWE, but um, Brian told us the story. Is that, you know, Hardcore Holly was, you know, he was kind of a hard ass and, and uh, really didn't have much use for the writers and stuff like that. So... Apparently, you know, Gewertz told him, like, you know, we welcome your input. You know, we'd love to hear what, what you have to say. And apparently, Hardcore Holly pulled him aside at TV one day and goes, yeah, I got, I got one of them there ideas for you. And, and Brian was like, well, yeah, what's that? He goes, how about I win the belt? How about that storyline? And that was it. That was the pitch. Hey, great. <laughs> Taking into account. It's been heard. Right. We've heard your idea, and we will work on seeing if that goes through. Yes, we will take that one under advisement. Okay. You Hardcore Howie chopped me so hard once, I think my nipple's still in Pittsburgh. <laughs> He's a little so. stiff in the ring. That's what they say. Eh, I, like, I like a fight. Okay. Hey, let me ask you real quick about the EC3 name, because we've seen people leave other promotions and then you know they can't take their name with them you obviously you copyrighted ec3 and, and you own the rights to it i'm assuming that's correct legal system's an amazing thing <laughs> now is it only is it ec3 specifically i mean can we ever say that, what ec3 stands for or are we done with that that? Is, that is what i've trademarked in the brand i would like to keep going forward because by the time I trademarked you, there has been, you know, some notoriety and there's been some build to it. So at this point, I wouldn't ever want to change it. What does the EC3 stand for? It stands for whatever act in my story we're at. So I believe this first time EC3 was Ethan Carter III, nephew to Dixie Carter and his entire run through TNA and then therefore Impact it was Ethan Carter III. Act two, we have EC3 in the WWE. Never told you what it meant. In fact, I had ideas on it being uh, kind of innocuous. Like you never knew Kramer's first name until you finally know it. Right. So it would have been, uh, I mean, hindsight being 2020. And if there's any even foresight to anything ever there, that maybe it could have been a big reveal. It could have been something or it could have been nothing either way doesn't matter, but that was my intention of it. So I was a little, I didn't, I guess, vocalize it enough or didn't feel the need to because anytime I was in that company and I was called EC3, people were calling me on, you know, on the internet. Is he the code, like, how, are, how is it Dixie Carter's nephew? Like, that version of it never said it was. Right. It kind of, I don't know, it's like the Marvel Universe, like, there's some different iterations, whatever. But now we're in Act 3. Right. And we are the essential character. Born and bred COVID anti-hero. Nihilistic ass-kicking machine. Essential character. The three itself, the three stands more for 
the three pillars of my narrative, the narrative I call it, and that's control, freedom, and purpose. Okay. Well, see, I just, I learned something. I didn't, so the three actually does have a meaning. Not that you're the third Ethan Carter anymore, but no. plays into who this character is. I, I and look, I have a sweet brand. Like I have a sweet logo. I had my designer make. It's awesome. It's got a three. Stick with it. Yeah. If it ain't broke. Absolutely. It's a constant evolution. You know, Undertaker is always going to be the Undertaker, whether he's literally a dead man, whether he's an actual Undertaker, whether he's a badass biker, you know? Right. Well, yeah. I think or whether he's just a, a, the phenom. He's an immortal figure, one of the best of all time. So keeping your brand, but then evolving into different things is always, oh, it's good advice. It looked like people that are very successful kind of kept that Undertaker uh, yeah. at Jericho. You know. Absolutely. There's no question about it that evolving and reinventing yourself is, is the key to longevity in this, in this business. I don't think there's any I mean, doubt about that. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley went from a blue blood snob to the legitimate next in line to inherit the WWE almost. So, I mean, that's quite an arc, but it's still Triple H, right? Yeah. Hey, even before that, he was uh, terrorizing with uh, bleach blonde feathered hair. Let's not forget that. <laughs> oh, name's almost as bad as Derek Bateman. <laughs> I got to. I got to be honest. I, I miss Derek Bateman a little bit. I, I do. But we'll we'll talk more about about him. I think uh, later. But uh, oh, yeah, so you're the one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like that guy. Um, uh, but anyway, you, you mentioned you just alluded to COVID. So that leads me to my next question, which is being in the bubble. ROH and the Maryland State Athletic Commission, they work together to come up with these really stringent protocols. What was that like being in the bubble? I would uh, put a company's face on it that I respect. I'd say it's stringent. I'm very well-versed. I'm a cunning linguist. It is stringent, and I know this, the, uh, they're doing the utmost to protect the talent and make sure the show goes off without a hitch and that we're able to produce excellent content in these trying times. Uh, the first time in the bubble, I kind of lost my mind a little bit. I understand why Heath Ledger locked himself in a hotel for a month to get into the mind frame to play the Joker because by the time I was getting out of here, like you saw, you saw it on Ring of Honor TV. I was fired up and speaking and just I was in that zone. So as mind-numbing and I don't want to say it's boring because boring such a it's such a loser's term because you can always find something to do. So it's not boring, but it was monotonous, I would say, being yeah. locked in the hotel room. And I'm very much, I am my own man. I have no problem being in solitude. I actually quite enjoy it. But that solitude also includes me two days training in the gym, things like that, going on journeys and adventures and looking and interacting a little bit with people. So taking that away, it made me a better performer. And well, I'm definitely COVID free. So that's what happened in the bubble. Talk to me then about the experience of coming out to the ring, cutting a promo and no fans. So you're not getting any reaction to what you're saying. Uh, had you ever done that before or what was it like? I mean, even when it was promo practice back in the days of developmental wrestling, you were still 
performing in front of your peers, performing in front of a guy like Dusty Rhodes, which is going to give you critical feedback afterwards. So there was something short of doing promos or speaking to myself within the reflection of a mirror, which is a good training tool for it. No, there, there was no feedback. I think like I can almost hear the whispers of the commentators just cause there was no sound. Uh, and I felt like it was great, but then there's no immediate feedback. There's no crowd interaction. There's no like people to bounce anything off of. So you're walking, you know, like, I feel like I delivered my statement. I feel like this message resonated. I feel like I did what I came here to do, but you don't know because there's no feedback. You can have confidence in yourself, which I do every day, but at the same time, feedback would help good, bad, indifferent, something. So it seems like it played well to our audience. And then, uh, you texted me as good. So, all right, I'm good to go. Yeah, I have to say, and I did tell you this when I texted you, and this is this was my impression. I wasn't sure what a promo with no fans was gonna was really gonna be like, and I knew this was it was important. This was your first time out uh, on Ring of Honor TV, and you know you wanted to hit a home run, and uh, I think you did. And I think the fact that there were no fans, in a weird way, because this this character, and I know it's not even really a character in a sense, it's you and everything you've been through. Uh, there's so much realism here, but I think just the nature of uh, uh, your persona now, it really, the, the, the quiet, you know, the silence actually added something to it because, you know, I've really felt like people at home are hanging on every word that you're saying. And every word was said with a purpose and you, you made, you know, laid out your mission statement and it was like everything stopped. Like you could hear a pin drop. And I mean that in a good way. Like everything stopped. Yeah. EC3's talking now. Shut up and let's listen to what he has to say. Not that I don't think it would have still been great if we had, you know, an audience that would have reacted to you. But I almost thought it was more impactful that it was just you. And you laid out the statement and, and left. I do agree with that too. And then if there is an audience and there is feedback, I have a tendency to feed off the audience as well. So that the message may have been similar, but may have been lost in the sense that these people are giving me this energy. So I will return this energy because it's interactive. It's collaboration like between creative and wrestlers, between wrestlers and an audience. We're all out there creating our art. So perhaps I agree with you. Not perhaps I do agree with you. I think it was very beneficial to not have an audience. And at the same time, I think, what led up to that initial one with those well-produced packages, high art, something different, something unique. What is it? We don't know yet. It's cool. It has intrigue. It has people talking, which I think gets lost because everyone wants everything now, right away, answers, like no mystery. What's next? There's a lot of places this can go, and that's very cool. And we don't know where it's going to go, which is even cooler. Right. We're, the journey has just started, and uh, it was a great first step in this new chapter of EC3. Well, we are off to a fascinating start here. We're going to take our first break, and then uh, we're going to be back and talk about, uh, maybe get into the, the recent past a little bit. I know we're, we're very forward-looking here, and you're a forward-looking individual, but we're going to touch on where you've been uh, right after this. 
I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Ander the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Thea the Wizard. And I'm Tracy Williams. And to see which character I'll be playing, make sure you tune in to episode three of Role Play of Honor, brought to you by Ring of Honor. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is EC3. Yes, it's true. He is in Ring of Honor. He is on the ROH Strong Podcast. But he's obviously been in other places, and we want to touch on that. I wouldn't be doing my job if I, if I didn't do that. Uh, you obviously had a great five-year run in TNA, and you really proved during your time there that, you know, you could be a top guy, you could be a world champion, you could get over as a baby face, you could get over as a heel. Uh, and look, I have to say this, beyond being honest, I always thought you had talent. You know, we met back in the WWE back in 2011 when I was a writer there, you were a talent. I always thought you had talent, but I have to say with what you did in TNA exceeded even the expectations that I had for you. But in early 2018, you left TNA. You go back to WWE, uh, NXT specifically, after getting released by WWE five years prior. So my question is going to be, why leave a place that you were very successful at and go back to a place where maybe it didn't exactly work out the first time? I mean, I, obviously you were convinced that uh, the company would get behind you the second time. But what was what were your thoughts? How's that? Leaving Impact, that's loaded. Uh, leaving Impact in 2000, you know, I guess it was 18. At that point, with the company was restructuring, there was a different owner or thing coming in each and every month. At the same time, I'm I'm looking around and I've I've done it there. I've done it all. I know this company too. When they've settled into their new ownership and management, they need to take steps back before they can take steps to the future. And I was proven right because they did take steps back and then they've took off and have done very well. And it's encouraging to see, especially on my return there. Uh, so it was just more so professionally, I've done it all there. Personally, I was going through kind of rough personal things at the time and, uh, I knew that the only escape I had was new challenges, especially in my career and my profession. And then, like you said, when you saw me in WWE in the past, you're like, I knew he had talent, but it took me going to Impact to realize how to parlay that into somebody that's a high caliber player. And the guy I was that you saw in WWE never would have been a top guy anywhere. He would have been good. You know, he would have been – Mid-card, well-liked, good living, good career, but he would never have jumped to that upper echelon. He needed to change. He needed to evolve. He needed to prove himself, which Impact, fortunately, gave me that opportunity to do. But knowing who I was and knowing what I know I'm capable of, I felt I, you, you just feel like because so much is left on the table that I know I can do it there and I could be the top name in the world based on the fact that company has the biggest platform. And also I'm very vindictive, but I'm also very, well, I was forgiving. So when they realize they make a mistake and they give you a call, it's kind of like an ex saying, or writing you a letter. I'm sorry. 
I was wrong. You right. were right. And it's okay. As long as you admit that cool. And at the same time, there was so there was a lot, there was a few people I did really want to work with in the WWE and that's because everybody I worked with in the past in impact, everybody I worked with in the WWE that was having great success. I've worked with before, you know, guys like a Roman or Rollins at the time, like we've worked together before, but I've never had like a match with Randy Orton. I never had a feud with John Cena and I knew I could do that. I didn't do it, but I knew I could. Right. So that was mostly the reason of going back. And plus it's the worldwide leader. It is the highest brand, so to speak, as far as recognition is concerned, yeah. not as far as mentality, but yeah, no, you no, want no. to see if you can do it on that, on that level, sure. which I know I can. And at this time I know I can, but I'm okay if I don't. Before I wasn't okay knowing that I can and I didn't. So it's a different, there was a shift in that energy seeing that now. So you spent about a year in NXT on your return and then you get called up to the main roster. How soon after getting that call up did you realize, oh boy, here we go again. It's not going to be what I thought it was going to be. The second I got the call, I was having a moment of, all right, something you've always wanted in your life has taken place. This is a good thing. And I was standing on my patio of my downtown Orlando uh, rooftop pool, like nice place. Like I have a good life. I'm doing well. And I'm looking over at the Amway Center, which is Orlando's main building. And I'm looking at it and I'm feeling it. And I just got this call and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't, it didn't feel right. So, so right, I guess, away. so you right away. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I was, yeah, I was going to say, was there a point once you got there? And so you, you just had a sort of a premonition almost just to feel like I, this isn't going to work. Definitely had a premonition about it more. So just based on I, when you feel something, and you know, it's right. You feel it and I don't feel it, but it's okay. And it's weird too. Cause I mean, I was in the middle of recovering from a, I would say concussion. So I was already on the injured list. I'm being called up while I'm injured. So now I feel anxiety and pressure to make sure I'm back quicker. But a concussion isn't an injury. You can come back from like a broken ankle or a torn ACL, like with the timetable. There's no saying when it's right or when you're right. Even if you're passing the very stringent tests they do have, and it's, very helpful they have these tests but if you could pass them it doesn't mean if you're you're feeling right so to speak that was one reason too was the product at the time was people were calling for i, I guess they made it seem like you want new talent you're gonna have it it just seemed very rushed and out of the blue though right. being an nxc having an awesome time i know i wasn't really made for NXT, I was going to be there till something opened up, but it was just kind of, oh, we got to do something. Here you go. Here's a, here's a bunch of people. Have at them. Like, there was no foresight. There was no thought. There was no vignettes. There was no character building. It was just presenting it to a new audience, this muscly, kind of handsome dude who's you're, you're going to like, even though he's way better if you don't like him. 
<laughs> it just it never nothing seemed right about it. Right. Well, you mentioned the concussions, and and I was going to ask you about that. I mean, that was really that was a huge thing in your last run there was, was you just, as you said, you weren't right. I mean, you had multiple concussions, correct? Yeah. I was uh, recovering from my second one in two months, I believe at the time in NXT. So. I mean, what is that I, like from just a, I guess the physical and the ment- I mean, uh, the mental standpoint of, of being, um, you know, you're concussed, a bruise on your brain. I mean, what's, what was your mindset like? It's, uh, there was another one later in the WWE main roster run that was, that was the hardest thing I ever had to come back from. But this one was, it was a feeling of disappointment because I just came back from one that I had in a a very big match and I had no recollection of the match. So it was, but I just came back and I'm ready. And I, I did, I wanted to rebrand and redevelop a character because I felt not that the top 1% has run its course, but that something drastic needs to change or it's just the same thing. Maybe it's just because we become impatient in ourselves if we're always doing the same thing, but you know, someone only sees you once every couple of weeks. So it's not, it's still new to them while you've been doing it for a long time. So wanting to kind of rebrand and putting together Honestly, the thesis of what I'm doing now is in the beginning stages of going through my brain and writing it out and sending it out to people. Uh, getting the call up, yeah, and then concussion. There wasn't a lot of anxiety. It was just more like, it was more, well, this is the call. I've been waiting for it. It's time to go, no matter what. So I'm going to pass this test. If I'm not right, I'll figure it out. As As things are progressing and as you said, you just kind of rushed up there. There wasn't a lot of uh, fanfare beforehand or vignettes. Uh, right off the bat, things aren't going great. You get injured. Is there ever a point, did you ever seek out a con- or have a conversation with either Vince McMahon or Paul Levesque and just talk about where things are headed, what your ideas maybe are to change things up? You know, are you going to get opportunities? Did, that conver- did those conversations ever happen? I was going to say something before you asked that insightful question. Oh, no, yes. Okay. When I say there's no vignettes, another reason I felt it wasn't right is because uh, there were kind of vignettes for the entire amount of people going up at that one time. But when mine was filmed in my apartment with no, you know, I was just like, this is, this isn't right. Like some dudes, so that was that. As far as the conversations, I've uh, had a few talks. Triple H was very much on hands at NXT, but not on the main roster. So when I got called up, I thanked him for everything. Thanked him for bringing me back. Thank him for having me in his home. He was a very influential on the main roster as far as talks of that nature. Vince, there was a couple. Uh, each one, you left feeling... Like, I don't know. He knows you. It's ironically enough. One of them said, I want to see the real you. And I'm like, well, you you have to let me speak to do that. And I will figure it out. But the real me became what I'm doing now. So maybe in theory, he was right because top 1% perhaps is a facade or wasn't the true real me, but it was also 
I don't know, character who can make a ton of money regardless. But there were conversations. A lot of times they're very, very, very hard to get. And uh, they seem to be the only way when the time is right and the mood is right, which is very speculative because you'll never know. So the conversations, yes. Any ones that made me succeed or go further? No. So about six months ago, uh, pandemic hits, uh, actually, I guess a little longer than that, but WWE in response, they've released a bunch of talent due to budget cuts. Um, I can identify with that one. I was at one point caught up in the budget cut crunch, uh, years ago. Um, so what's, what's, what's the thought at this point for you? You know, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic budget cuts, you're out of a job from a a personal and a professional standpoint. Where, where's your head at? Um, Let's see. Pandemic hit. There was a, this is post WrestleMania and uh, there was quote plans to do something allegedly that were started, but never saw the light of day uh, before like the WrestleMania after raw. I uh, remember leading up to that WrestleMania is like, if it wasn't a pandemic, I was going to ask for a release, whether I would have had it or not, I don't know. And it would never been something where I tried to force her hand by taking it to the internet first. I was just going to have a conversation. The only thing that prevented me was the fact there was a pandemic. And I'm like, people are losing jobs. People are losing money. My parents own a restaurant. I might have to be a breadwinner. I can tough it out, but I really don't want to be here. And then I got a call and I wasn't. And it was, I'm not going to say exhilarating and exuberant. It was kind of like, okay, this is what I wanted. Now, what can I do? The only problem is the fact that it is a pandemic and our occupation is very based on performing in front of people and people aren't coming. So there was some fear in that, but I knew I had 90 days to figure out what it is I want to do with this career as far as, and then continue in other aspects of professions in life. So I remember I was doing yoga, quarantined in our apartments. Is this of the DDP? No, it wasn't, but I do do, do DDP. Why? Don't, don't tell them I said that, but I was doing more of a restorative meditation kind of deep stretching thing. And I got a phone call. I was watching it on my phone. I got a phone call from one of my good friends who was part of those releases. And then I was just like, ignore him doing yoga. And then five seconds later, I get a call from the office. I was like, oh, we're getting fired today. <laughs> cool. So have, have a conversation with him. And, you know, he had a real tough day that day, having to let so many people go. It sounded like the office was chaos. I didn't hold him responsible. Like, it's okay. Don't worry. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's good. Whatever. Thank you for everything. Not bitter. Hang up. And I remember the first time being released, how it was piss, fire, brimstone, rage, every emotion that's like anger ridden. This time I finished yoga. I was fine. It was okay. I was very much at peace, I guess you can say. Okay. During this time now, when you've got, I guess, uh, three months where you're still getting paid, is that, is that accurate to say? You have like three months 
Yeah, the no compete. Yes. No compete. You still get paid. Uh, during that time, which I think you alluded to, this is really where you crafted the next stage of your career. How did you come up with the underground? Please, you know, pardon my use of that that word. Um, <laughs> the Fight that. Club type story that you told in that video, which you I think you put some teasers out on social media, and then it was um, it was right after your ninety days were up. I think literally at midnight that night you premiered this video, which was really cool and stylized, and unlike anything I had really seen. Um, what what was the the thought behind that whole concept the narrative you speak of the narrative and we could talk about that a long time but the thought process was uh initially the day of the release i know uh, rockstar spud drake maverick put out this crying little thing and got a lot of attention but at the same time working within wwe i was pitching kind of this exact thing and uh I did show up at TV. I had my head shaved. I didn't tell anybody. I had sparse facial hair because it took me three months to actually grow it out. But this was in the works, and this has been on my brain for a very long time, even back to the previous part of the conversation when we were talking about NXT. I, this is what I was thinking of doing. This is what I wanted to do. Uh, the day I was released, I sent in a video to creative that was the promo character pitch the whole nine yards. I actually sent that in earlier, but I reshot the promo, so it was really good. I mean, really good as it could be in your apartment where I shot my vignettes for WWE, so I guess it's good enough. <laughs> but I sent that in, and uh, we get released. And the first thing I did was I just put that video online of this character I want to do with the entire synopsis of what this character is, this pitch I had to the WWE verbatim, what I sent them. I just put it out there. Because, yeah, it sucks to get fired, but what sucks the most is if you deem yourself a failure. And I know I didn't fail this time. And people, well, he didn't do anything. No, this is exactly what I did. They just didn't want to do it, and that's okay. So putting that out was the first step. And then realizing I had 90 days to establish a character in my own way, completely unimpeded from anybody's comments, critiques, or criticism, I can fully control your narrative, control this narrative, tell this story, have 90 days to build it up with vignettes that I can produce with my guys, my team, my friends that are close to me. But at the same time, this is all my words and thoughts going out there. So 90 days to create this character, control the narrative. And I knew I had to cap it off with something because upon creating a character with vignettes, you need an established what this character does. Hence, one of the many reasons we did the narrative, but yeah, I had 90 days to do something and nobody else was going to do it. I, I'm taking responsibility for myself this time because I've put faith in other people and I've been stabbed in the back. I've put myself in the hands of others and I've been dropped. I can't allow that to happen again because I'm too proud of a person. I have to ask you this question. I mentioned the word underground. I don't know if you were watching uh, Raw at that point. I don't know if you saw it as it happened. Um, obviously, you heard about it afterwards. But 
what went through, what was your first reaction when you see Raw Underground and it looked, let's just say, very similar to your video? I knew it was going to be stolen, so I was prepared for it. Okay. You know, I didn't know it would go to that length, but, and I know mine played to like a minor bubble of the professional wrestling audience while majority of it saw whatever the hell they put out there. The way I look at it is kind of like I was Wayne's World. I was producing this show in Aurora in my basement with my buddy, Garth. We'll call him JC in this instance. And then uh, Rob Lowe came in, bought us. And when I saw saw Shane McMahon in the ring and this not real underground, mine wasn't a real underground, this manufactured heartless desolate studio i'm looking at shane and it felt like uh when noah was rapping on wayne's world after they bought him out and it was just it was just inauthentic and like i said it had no heart so i knew something would have been taken from it i didn't expect the whole aesthetic it walled upset my friend jc who i worked very hard on with it at the same time it's just a challenge to do something different and better next time, which I definitely plan on doing. Because again, control your narrative. Again, Ring of Honor provides freedom. I'm not tied to doing just that. There's things I want to do in the future and continue that narrative as sort of a supplemental content to whatever other places I'm doing things in. And I have, I have bold, ambitious views for it. We'll see if it works out. I think it will. Well, I'm definitely, um, I think I speak for a lot of people. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where it goes. I mean, just the little tease of things that we've seen so far are certainly compelling. And just as far as the raw underground thing goes, I, I don't know. If, if I were you, I, I think it's, it sucks that like a great idea got taken and, and performed on a bigger you know scale. But it's got to be, in a sense, flattering that it just validates that it was a really good idea. A hundred percent flattering. I, nobody I took it very nobody much steals, of Nobody steals a bad idea. No, nobody does. But they can really make a good idea bad, can't they? Yeah. <laughs> All right, you said I that. I mean, it's like, yeah, I did say that. Okay. It's <laughs> like, uh, I don't want to, I don't know why people give these guys such a bad rap, but it's an easy one. It's like if Nickelback was at a bar and they saw this new, this band playing this like really great song. Like, oh, Chad Crew was like, yeah, man, we should do this song. Well, I mean, do you want to change it up at all? Maybe the hook a little bit different? No, we'll do it exactly as it is, but worse, with more <laughs> noise. That's cool. Like, whatever. Yeah, just it's the fine. same, only worse. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll have more explosions. Cool. You, you know what? They can have the underground. They can have their false underground. I reject their underground. They can have their PG, not even on drugs, half-assed strippers but they're yeah they still have too much clothes on they can have these losers slapping the mat whose idea was that mine okay yeah oh you know we just had to dishevel the ring you want to take the whole ring ropes out that's cool they don't have heart and they never will and that's what separates us all right well i see i got you fired up a little bit there that's a, that's good we're gonna uh keep that fire we're gonna take our second break and we'll be back right. with more right after this 
I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ringofhonor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. Yeah, we are back. And let's say, let's keep going on that underground. That sucks. All right, no, see, I want to, I've got angry EC3, control your narrative guy right here. Can I, can I have your permission? Can we go back and talk about the guy that I used to know almost 10 years ago? The guy that I first met in WWE. Can we talk about that guy for just a little bit? Permission granted. Thank you. So I want to go back to, actually, before I knew you, your first run in NXT, you went by the name Derek Bateman. This was when NXT was a competition slash reality show. You made it to the final three. It was you, Johnny Curtis, a.k.a. Fandango, who ended up winning, uh, and Brodus Clay. And what, by the way, what, whatever happened to Lucky Cannon? Anybody ever heard? Have you heard from him? Uh, I have not heard from Lucky Cannon, to be okay. honest. I believe he's uh, still living a high life in uh, Pinellas County, Florida, somewhere. So, Okay. Well, that's good. Well, around that time, <coughs> I'm not going to ask you about that specific NXT show, but around that time, you were involved in a, I just, the word I have to use is bizarre, this bizarre vignette where you played, I guess, like a scientist from the Baton oh. Institute. You developed a cologne called the world's strongest man derived from the actual sweat glands of yep. Mark Henry. And I went back and watched this on YouTube and I wrote this down. Here's an, an excerpt from a voiceover that was done by Mark. There's a warning. He says, warning, this product can cause aggressive sexual behavior used <laughs> within 50 feet of a hippopotamus. Mm. So all I can say is, uh, what the hell? I mean, was this, what was your understanding of this thing? Was this just a rib on Mark Henry? How did you end up getting involved in it? How did you feel about doing it? Did you talk to Mark? I know there's a lot of questions, but uh, oh. proceed, please. Considering I completely forgot this existed till you asked the question, <laughs> obviously tells me how much I care about it, but uh where to start with that? First off, I think the sexual hippopotamus line was handwritten by Vince McMahon. Oh, I'd have no recall. doubt about that. So yeah, so that's probably why it was such a resounding success. <laughs> but uh, actually, I think at this time you were with the company yet, were you? No, I, this was before my time. Okay, because I remember when I was first introduced to you, you had an article, I believe, and you said nice things about me. And I was like, huh, this guy's all right in my yeah. book because he <laughs> likes me. What's me? Cool. So, yeah. Uh, somebody, Vince, I believe, sorry, Mr. McMahon, whatever, Vince, at this time wanted to do something where there were, was an SNL skit on Raw every Monday, sort of SNL-ish skit so i believe the nxt writers at the time asked me hey can you think of any like sort of snl skits you can do and i'm like done and i wrote i don't know dozens of them can i name any of the other ones yeah one one other one i can name and it was a 
action movie trailer with Daniel Bryan and I called Good Cop, Rad Cop, where we just had like the worst movie trailer of all time, <laughs> which now I'm actually trying to make for real happen. Maybe not with Daniel Bryan though, but it was the only other one I could think of off the top of my head. But then one of them was, I don't know, Cologne based on, I'm like looking around who's big, Mark Henry's scent. And they went with it. And I wrote out, I wrote out a commercial that was nothing like that. But then, you know, it's run up the chain and then somebody took a hands-on approach to it, Vince, and wrote that. Uh, and the initial one had a fake vomit in it. Of course. Where it's kind of, I kind of based it off Sex Panther a little bit. But when <laughs> I'd walk up to a you know, backstage announcer after a fresh squirt of uh, <laughs> world's strongest scent, is I think that's what it was called. And then she just proceeds to vomit all over me while I just stand there smiling and no selling it. Hilarious, right? No, we're off to the races. Millions of dollars coming to my bank account. But uh, no, then it became what it was. And I think there was follow-ups planned, but it bombed so horrendously that uh, it was never seen again. So, Yeah, when I heard that hippopotamus line, there was, like I said, there was no doubt in my mind no doubt who wrote that line and it is funny his sense of humor is just so different like and i i could just picture him writing that and just yeah. cracking himself just popping or cracking <laughs> god damn that's good you know yeah and, and everybody else just doing the polite laugh because he's your boss yeah. and fickle yes men agreeing to everything <laughs> good one boss <laughs> jab 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 <laughs> Oh my God. Exactly. Think about that. That was 10 years ago. That was 10 years ago. Wow. I aged awesomely. I look great. But besides that, that was 10 years ago. What could be funny to his brain now at 74, not 64? That's frightening. That is, that is frightening. Okay. Well, let me ask you about that though. These, these um, comedic roles that you played, um, is that something that you, did you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm funny, like in real life, I'm going to, so I can play the funny guy. But you know what they say, funny doesn't draw money, right? So did you feel like at that point in your career, like I can carve out a niche here as the funny guy and have a nice living. You know, we've seen other guys do it, Santino Morella, uh, you know, et cetera. Or did you always feel like, you know what, if I was ever given a shot, I could be more than this? Oh, 100%. If I was ever given a, given a shot, I could be more than that was the mindset. The humor aspect and being funny is the fact that I was on a show nobody wrote, nobody cared about, nobody watched. And how do you stand out? Like, how, how could I take this seriously? How could I take this competition seriously? Like, my life depends on this eternal competition for a dream job, for physical combat, sport, Art, like how can I take this seriously if nobody else is and they're making us do these dumb things? You have to be the guy that like, all right, you're gonna you're gonna joke on me. I'm going to accept your joke and turn it on you and actually make it funny was the mindset. So I never wanted to be a comedy guy. I'm never I hate people that try to be funny. What brought me to wrestling, besides physical stature and the physical athleticism and all that was the bombastic personalities who had depth and you knew who they were. 
but then they can make you laugh too. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin, baddest ass MFer ever, could pop on a hat, bust out the acoustic guitar, and sing the worst song ever. And that's funny. And you still know he can kick your ass. Yep. Or The Rock, his top Hollywood draw, because he has personality. So as serious as he was, he could riff back and give it back to you. And people laughed at him, but they never laughed. I'm sorry, people laughed with him, but they never laughed at him. Right. Edge, Christian, five-second poses, top stars. Kurt Angle, three eyes, chugging milk. Baddest-ass dude on the planet, top guy. So that was kind of the intention. Cena, the latest in the long line of top possible names, saying crazy stuff, rapping. It's funny, but he's still, you know, a tough dude who's jacked and fights and doesn't back down, never gives up. So I've always wanted to have an element of entertainment because we are an entertainment that could riff in that level, but at the same time deliver psychological, hard, in-depth character, making people want to pay money to see this person fight another person, whether they get their ass kicked or whether they kick their ass. They want to see this happen because they're invested in this person. And they believe in them. I think it's the most important part is they have to believe. And they weren't going to believe in Derek Bateman flapping his curly hair around, but you also have to stand out or then you're asking, somebody else is asking on a podcast, hey, you remember that Derek Bateman guy? Where's he at? I don't know, somewhere in Pinellas County, Florida. Who cares? <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like, Absolutely. So, so yeah. I never, and then there was, because I was funny, they automatically peg you as a comedy guy, which is absurd. Right. I'm yeah. just not, I'm not letting you make fun of me without me making fun of myself first. You know what I mean? I never wanted, like, as awesome as Santino is and did, and he had that niche, I never wanted to pull the snake out of my, Thing and pop people in the face. Okay. Yeah, keep but yeah, keep keep, you know, keep old Nelly back in there. But but I knew there had to be a standout. But then once you're pegged to something too, it's hard to get past it unless they allow you the opportunity to get past it, which you have to do. But sometimes you have to control your narrative on your own to get it done. And then if you can't do that, you're just stuck. So you mentioned your hair back in the day. You, yeah. miss, you miss it because that was some immaculate. That was a what a, what a head of curly hair. Now, see, this has always bothered me with guys like you who have this great hair. Like, you know, I'm in a little bit of an older guy. The hair starts thinning. And then I see people like you who have this great curly hair and you shave your head. Yep. Yeah, I don't like that. Like, <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> Understandable. The hellacious, that hair was hellacious to maintain. I felt like I looked like an idiot. I felt stupid every day of my life having it, but I knew it looked different, so I kept it. I thought it sucked. I was so bad at washing it and maintaining it. I had to have people do it for me. I was so happy when I chopped it off and then had a nice head of hair, but then Dixie Carter was obsessed with me having this like faux pas. We have all the things to worry about. She was worried about my hair <laughs> more than the company. So I had to have this faux pas. And then I, I've kept it, but then when it's short but manageable, it's still like curled weird and I never can make it look like how I wanted it to look. 
I, th- these are hair problems. You wouldn't know. Hair problem. Yeah, I have. These I, are I, hair problems. I, I, I have curly, wavy hair myself, so I so I, I kind of get it. But you know, once it starts thinning, then it's a whole other thing. Curly hair that's thin—that's a whole other issue. Doesn't look. Oh, good. terrible. You know, yeah, but I was desperate to buzz it off. And then when I wanted to make a complete change, I didn't even tell anybody because I was still with the company at the time. I just showed up with a shaved head. I'm like, I'm done. Wow. I'm going to be different. Did I ever tell you that I pitched you for, for 3MB? Did I ever tell you that story? I believe so, yes. Yeah. It was because of the hair, right? So we had Heath Slater was doing the one-man band. And we were talking in the writer's room about, well, let's give, let's make it a trio. Like, let's give Heath a couple guys. And they actually, you know, form this pseudo rock band. And I pitched this in a production meeting. I brought it up where Vince was just like asking for ideas and stuff. And I said, well, what if we do, you know, um, Heath recruits two band members. And he's like, well, who do you have in mind? And I said, well, what about Derek Bateman and Kurt Hawkins? Because you both had the long rock star hair at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Vince, you know, kind of thought about it and he's like, hmm. And then he looks at the roster and he goes, we're going to do it, but it's going to be Drew McIntyre and gender. And just like the room kind of fell like si- like we didn't know was he kidding or, or what. Um, and he wasn't kidding. And then I was the one who actually went and broke the news. <laughs> to Drew and Jinder, who Drew especially, yeah. did not see himself as nah. a stooge basically for Heath Slater. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I had to be the one to, because I was you know, friendly with Drew and, and I was like, I was like, they're gonna be looking at you to see how you react to this. I'm like, my advice is embrace it. And he did. And it all turned he, out, it all turned out okay. It did turn out all right. He, he did the very best he could and Drew's, you know, Drew's hilarious too. He's not a he comedy is. guy. Drew's he is very funny. If you can understand what he's saying, he's <laughs> one of the funniest guys out there. Which but, is like uh, could have been part of three MB. I don't know if you would like. You know what? I would I would have killed it. I would have killed it. You I would have been so awesome at that. I and I probably would be this character on top now there. But alas, it didn't work out that way. Do you know in developmental up at Cena's gym? We were talking about ideas, and we came up with an idea that was called The Band with Heath Slater. And I was like, yeah, and I'll be like the bassist. So we were on the same, same stupid mind path at the time. Okay, no, I didn't. I never heard that. Not, I mean, great minds think alike. Ah, perfect. Look at us now. Look at us now. Well, let me ask you um, again about uh, one, more, one more walk down memory lane. There we with- go. Another season of NXT, this one was called Redemption because it brought back competitors from previous seasons who didn't win. And it started out like the other seasons. It was a competition. And again, this was while, now I was with the company at this point. And all of a sudden, it wasn't a competition anymore. And it just kind of became its own show and lived in its own reality. And a mutual, our mutual friend, Tom Cassiello, was the writer of the show. Tom, for yeah. don't know, was an Emmy award-winning writer from the soap opera world. Um, and all of a sudden NXT became this show with like these wild storylines with you and uh, Maxine and Johnny Curtis and Caitlin. And I think, geez, I think Matt Stryker got kidnapped and uh, well, Matt's right. mother, her shoot mother came on the show at one point. I think AJ Lee was in a relationship with Hornswoggle. 
And I remember one time watching Tom, like, you never know what you're going to see. Like, you show up at TV, and what's Tom got planned this week? One week, he was walking around with a giant dead fish. <laughs> I don't know if fish he was lips. part of that segment or, or not, but there was a dead fish. Um, so, man, what, what are your memories of that whole experience? That, I mean, first off, it was NXT Redemption, and this was after NXT Season 4. I think they realized the concept's terrible. They didn't want to bring up the new the new crop into an obvious minefield of internet obscurity and dumb challenges that we can't think of anything new to do. So um, after season four, which I I mean I should have won. Let's be honest. I had a knee surgery, so I was out. So I didn't go on to redemption immediately and then i have the knee surgery go back to developmental i'm there for a little bit i'm trying out new things doing whatever call comes in you ready to come back to the road i'm like yep can't wait real pumped what do they have for me i'll have to tell you tv okay cool and i'm like it's smacked down and i'm looking like where would i fit here am i gonna am i gonna be in three mb it's four mb am i this am i where, <laughs> where do i fit i'm like i don't, I don't really see it anywhere and then uh, they pull this trick out of you sometimes because, I mean, I think they stopped doing it after somebody was hurt. But you're in the dark match, and you got four minutes to get ready. But I kind of felt that was coming, so I had my gear on, and I was already kind of loose. And they're like, you have the dark match, and you have four minutes to get ready. And I'm like, I only need one second. I pull off my shirt, and I'm like, let's go. And I think it was me and Johnny Curtis in the dark because he was – he won the competition. He was called up, but uh, he was had a chip on his shoulder. He was pouring milk on himself, whatever weird was happening. <laughs> and then uh, I get back from the dark match. I slow match, come back to say, you might want to stick up here a little bit. I'm like, hi. Now I know it's coming. So redemption started getting rid of people, but then they didn't have a roster. And I realized, oh, they have no idea what the thing's going to be. They need to extend TV. And then I, I came out at the end of redemption, like a, I was a conquering hero here to return to NXT Redemption. You can hear a pin drop. Nobody knows who, who I am because I was on the internet show. doesn't matter. So I'm back on Redemption. And it kind of for a, a couple weeks was the same format. Then Tom, Tom took over. And this is his first foray even into wrestling, let alone writing a wrestling show for the WWE. Exactly. And if, thinking he had to, to do the, uh, the concept of the – challenges and things because you know how it is sometimes once something's one way it's that way forever no matter what there's no logic or reason it just has to be that way well could we change it no why would you change it it's got to be this way why does it have to be this way because it is you know it, it doesn't but then we kind of started experimenting with weird little stories and soap opera-esque stuff and the crew we had i think myself johnny curtis show back up maxine caitlin aj uh, Percy was there. Everybody you mentioned. Titus. Are just, well, you mentioned them. I did it. <laughs> are just people that are fun to be around and naturally funny. And we had good chemistry and we could riff off each other. And we all kind of knew it's a joke. So let's have fun with the joke. And so that's how these redemption storylines became this dragged out soap opera from here and there. And I think it turned the show around. Yeah. People were interested in the show. People enjoyed it. 
And then it was so under the radar, nobody knew something completely different was happening until they realized, hey, this is succeeding all of a sudden. What's going on? What's different? And then Tom gets heat because he made a bad show good. Yep. And desolate deathbed characters are entertaining and fans are watching and enjoying it. So what it proved is every time it's an opportunity, it proved the ability to act, uh, I guess, under pressure or just be in front of that live audience, being able to do pre-tapes and one take, do them live, being able to kind of freely express yourself in a way because we had structures and we were written, but we weren't verbatim micromanaged by 43 different people till one person doesn't even like it. And then they have to micromanage it a completely different way. So it was just, it was natural. It was fun. It was endearing. It was a decent hour, some decent wrestling, good characters. It was cool. And uh, learned a lot from it. The fact that we could turn nothing into something. Still very proud of that. But at the end of the day, you know, here we are. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I know Tom was, was really heartbroken when uh, they, you know, one day he was told, yeah, this is, this is over. We're not doing this anymore. And, uh, and it became, you know, something completely, it became developmental is, is basically what it turned into. And yeah, uh, yeah what sort of the, the, the beginning of, of what uh, NXT is now, which was, you know, really which, becoming a separate brand. Which is fine because NXT turned out to be right. A nice little entity, and it became a great showcase for a lot of talent that may n- maybe not have been on the WWE's radar at first. And then, but also, it became somebody's baby. So, of course, it's going to have thought and foresight, and yes, everything is uh, going to be catered to be a success. We're going to build a giant building. We're going to build this territory, and like, it's a great idea. I wish, I don't wish, because I'm very happy with how everything played out, despite all the obstacles and things, but to come on to an NXT, how it was a couple years ago, or even how it is now, would have been so much better than a f- game show. <laughs> I, saved, I saved my one F-bomb for that. Okay. <laughs> well, it was well-placed, well-placed. Yes. All right, well... Before we get to our 10 questions segment, um, I got to talk a little uh, AFC North football with you. Are you, are you still, a big, still a big Cleveland Browns fan? It's so funny because pandemic, you realize how much trivial stuff doesn't matter. Like, I can't, I don't watch any TV. I stopped watching sport. Like I get, I didn't give up, but it's, it's like when it finally, I finally was like, I don't care. And then when the Ravens just smoked them on week one, just beat them into dust. I'm like, I'm out. I don't oh, need this. They haven't lost. I don't. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to come back or are you done? I watched yesterday waiting for the heartbreak to happen. It didn't. I'm sorry. I watched a couple of weeks ago against the Indianapolis Colts. Yep. Waiting for the heartbreak to happen and it didn't. And, uh, I'm not in where I'm like researching or reading the uh, people like writing about it. Like, oh, what happens? You know, I'm not reading, like I'm not getting super into it, but if they're a competitive team, uh, I can, I'll, I'll watch a little bit. I'm not all in. So 
when they lose, I'm not going to be like distraught, like, no, those are chance. Like, I'll be like, okay, that's fine. Well, that, that honestly, that saddens me a little bit because I thought, you know, we could rib each other about the AFC North and the Browns against the Ravens. And, uh, you know, I well, especially I mean, like to rib you about it because the Ravens win all the time. See, yeah, you're going to say we could rib each other about this, but how can I rib you back? You win every time. Like, it's not a rib. That's it's a one-sided rib. Yeah, it's a that's, squash. That's bullying. You're bullying. <laughs> well, we don't want to do I mean, that. He is star. I, I mean, <laughs> I get it because the Ravens were the Browns. So you're welcome for a winner. Yes. Thank my you. pleasure. My childhood got ruined. So you can have a two Super Bowls and I have zero. Good. Have fun. Enjoy. Art, Art Modell. What a saint. That, it's a, <laughs> it is a crime that your people are, are, have made it so that he can't get in to his, to the hall of fame, his rightful place in the pro football hall of fame. But you know what? As bitter as, as the Cleveland sports writers and the fans are, and they take delight, and the fact that Art's not in doesn't matter because at the end of the day, Art got that Lombardi trophy. So You're right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Hey, I'm not one to, I'm not one to defend any media, Kevin, That's let alone it. Cleveland sports media. But, yeah, hey. It's just very petty. Lamar, Lamar, Lamar looks great. Like, well, what can I say? I mean, we'll see what happens later this season. At some point, and I don't want to get too much into this, but at some point, you know, it's been since 1995 that, that Art took the team away. Um, you got to let it go at some point, right? I mean, holding on to the grudge. Here's the thing. Yeah, you're right. Got a team now. <laughs> the worst franchise for 20 years. And finally, maybe they figured something out. Maybe, but it's still up in the air. But you're absolutely right. And I've become big at this part of my life, which I haven't been in the past, is I can forgive. That's so I can clearly, definedly say I forgive Art Modell for taking the football team to Baltimore, but I also never forget. Okay, so. that's fair. That's fair. You know, I, I, I had a similar experience here back in the 80s when the Baltimore Colts left. As he, yeah, it sucks. It's it heartbreaking. Does. Hey. But again, let's, let's you know, because we are reasonable people that can agree to disagree, you and I. I've heard that before, we yeah. Discuss, <laughs> <laughs> we can both agree that as long as the Steelers lose, it's all good. 100%. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's true. That makes us friends. I don't mind a little three-way dance at the top of the AFC North, though. As long as Cincinnati's not involved, too, because as much as I despise Baltimore, as much as I loathe Pittsburgh – I respect them. I respect the hell out of them. Exactly. Cincy? Nah. Nah. Well, I mean, and this is the last thing I'll say. I don't want to start any, you know, a bad thing here, but really you could say if there's three franchises that have been fairly successful in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, you would have to throw the Bengals in there because they did have their run where they were making the playoffs every year. If there was one franchise that was on the outside looking in. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I'm. I. Hey. I. I. I huh, come on. I've been doing it for twenty years, dude. I know. I. I. I don't have cognitive dissonance. Dissonance. Whatever. You couldn't let that shot at the Bengals go there because it, it's just not. I mean, Carson Palmer had you know had some good years there. I think in this in this year at this moment. Oh yeah, for now, sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good three way race. All right. Well, we've talked enough about the AFC North. 
We're going to take our final break, and then when we come back, 10 questions with EC3. Tonight, we'll be discussing another very important topic, wrestling in the COVID-19 era. Phone rang, and it was someone from uh, Ring of Honor office, and I said, look, this is bigger than wrestling. This is a pandemic. Nobody knew exactly what coronavirus was. Ring of Honor was one of the only companies to completely shut down and say no. If there's a virus out there that you can catch just by being within six feet of somebody, imagine wrestling somebody. You're gonna be a lot closer than six feet. I have huge, huge fears. I'm scared S-less, to be perfectly frank. ROH Roundtable, now available on youtube.com slash ring of honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong podcast with EC3. It is time to play 10 questions. Are you ready? I'd prefer 11, but I like odd numbers. 10's fine. I'm ready. I'm ready to play your, your game. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, and I think I'm going to do it next year. Not that I ever had any intentions, nor is it some the most dangerous or earth-shattering climb. I believe it's fairly safe, which is a long duration. But I was having dinner with uh, the owner of this bag company I really like. It's called At Ruck Pack. And uh, his living legend, NBA friend, and we were talking, and he just said, you got to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I had about four or five tequila, soda waters, and limes. And I'm like, I'll put that on my bucket list because I realize there's really nothing on it besides maybe finding a nice girl and having a child. So, yeah, I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro I do next year. Okay. Hey, on that, uh, my advice on the on the finding the girl, uh, m- maybe stay away from Steelers fans. <laughs> you don't know how true that is. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is that okay to say? Should we take that out? Nope. Okay. Good place. Okay. Question number two: What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Hmm. History. Okay. I'm, I'm very big in history, and I do, when I do reading, I do a lot of it on history, but I think I'd like to know even more because it's so freaking interesting and so much, it's so funny how sometimes it repeats itself too, but I like being well-versed in uh, past things just because through the past, through these amazing real-life people, you can take traits or quotes characteristics and you can build them into character so i'm very i I like like that so more history but i think too the ability to digest the history and uh relay it quickly and then also you know what i'm reading like if it's a in-depth scholarly book like i'm lost i'm pretty smart i get i'm lost i'm 40 pages i'm like i don't even know what i just read so maybe the ability to focus on it and really assimilate it would be cool. Okay, very good. Question number three, this is a little less deep. Uh, Who was your favorite wrestler growing up? My favorite wrestler growing up. 
I kind of look at it in waves. So if we're talking 80s and Hulkamania, it was for sure the Ultimate Warrior. Let's just get that out of the way. I was a warrior of a Hogan all day. Uh, when I started kind of developing a little attitude, and I still wasn't even a teenager yet, I was kind of falling for guys like Mr. Perfect and Rick Rude, ironically enough. Uh, I wasn't into wrestling as much during, you know, the Brett and Sean years, but I definitely would have been a, definitely would have been a Sean fan. I mean, I obviously was, he's one of the greatest of all times, but at that stage in my life, then we come to the Attitude Era, and I mean, it's, it's Stone Cold on the Rock, as easy as that is to say. Yep. So, those, those are a few. I like Triple H too, not because I want him to be my boss or he was my boss, but like late 90s, early 2000s, Triple H, I liked the foil. Like, you need these two mega loved people to have somebody that's, they need the yin to their yang. They need an adversary. And I, I like a, a good adversary, so. Okay. There you go. Question number four. What's the best advice you've been given about pro wrestling? And who, and who gave you that advice? Dr. Tom Pritchard gave me the best advice. And it was never take yourself out of the game sound advice yeah he's right question number five what's something that's popular that you don't see the appeal of tiktok and you can't get what is it tiktok for sure it's just idiot brain damaging stupidity i just it's just there's so much social media and it's hard to keep up and it's i can't handle another one and like Oh, I can edit, like, it's, it's, oh, we're, we're a lost culture, man. We're done. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all on that one. I think it's, I fear, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just, yeah. I fear raising a child with all the accessibilities to all these technologies so easily. Like, how can they have a childhood? And like, our generation's pretty millennialish. It's pretty, you know, Cottered to and had everything, and we were kind of like we were. I, we had internet, you know. Right. We had email. We had to phone. You might have had to call a girl's house and talk to her dad to actually talk to her, and that was the most nerve-wracking thing ever. But like these generations, how are they going to experience anything like that? Taking a bike ride without having the cell phone on, them so no one knows where they're at, and like navigating problems they may encounter, like if it's stand by me and they find a dead body on the train tracks. <laughs> like that, that can't happen. No. I, I feel bad for them. So yeah, TikTok. Yeah, I'm, Plus, I'm, I mean, China was stealing your information, guys. Come on. Get them that. Right. Unless Ring of Honor works directly with the Chinese television network, then I bow to my corporate overlords. <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm, that's above my pay grade. I don't know the answer to that. Okay, question number, where are we? Six? Yes. Uh, yeah. What person, either past or present, alive or dead, would you like to have a conversation with? You could talk to I anyone. think Teddy Roosevelt. And why is that? That guy, I think he did it all. But he came from such an entitled background where he didn't have to. I think he was always out to prove himself to himself. I think he 
controlled his narrative, so to speak. I think, uh, I mean, he's a war hero, he's a police commissioner, he's president, he's an avid wildlife connoisseur and nature, loved nature, just loved conversation. He's so many quotes. The guy was, the guy got shot giving a speech. He said, nah, I'm good. And he finished <laughs> the speech. That is some alpha male. <laughs> I think he would be, yeah, I mean, top of the head. I think yeah. be. And he was great at, in uh, Night at the Museum, right? Oh, he's wonderful. Another yeah. guy would be Robin Williams, too. There you go. Because I would wonder if you can see the, the deep, dark depression that laid beneath the facade of being one of the funniest guys out there. And that's a heartbreaking tale. That is, that's, that is, uh, man, that's some deep stuff you just got into right there. Yeah. And it's another thing too. I think I've maybe talked about it before, but, uh, when you talk about comedy characters, like funny doesn't make money. Oh, you're just a, he's just a comedy guy. Some of the most depraved and like dangerous people in this world are hilarious because they're hiding something behind that humor is a tortured soul. And I think that's very interesting. So, so what if Derek Bateman's hilarious? What if he's a real life sociopath? There's something there. Yeah. Well, I, we're, we're finding that out. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, there's something there too, but then, ah, here's another thing while I'm on a rant. Why can't wrestling tell these stories? Why does it have to be so broadly painted? I think TV's, I, I think this was great with Ring of Honor too, is to create creativity and the freedom to pursue kind of an arc of this nature but wrestling shouldn't be so basic because tv has developed people like characters that have depths and shades of gray and i do believe in the dynamic of good versus bad maybe face versus heel but at the same time why can't characters have these this depth about them that the results of matches mean something to their overall psyche and that Sometimes in victory, you are defeated, or sometimes defeat, you become victorious. Like everybody stays whole, everybody gets over. People want to pay money to see it. Business rules. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm I'm certainly a proponent of of good guys and bad guys, and you know you have to have that in any form of entertainment. Yeah. But there's also something to like you said, layers and dimensions. And uh, look, even in quote unquote legitimate sports you have storylines that's you know we watch a pre-game show of uh you know an nfl game or whatever they'll always give you the storylines and even within real sports you have good guys and and you know you have some eccentric personalities and bad guys but you know it's it's there's nuances and i think there is something to that where maybe you don't necessarily have to always lead the audience in the direction of who you should cheer for and who you should boo and, and kind of let them make up their own mind yeah it's kind of definitely something i'm trying to pursue as the essential character i don't know what i am i don't know if people like me dislike me love me hate me and i love that that i don't know and i can't wait to find out from the live audience hopefully in the near future absolutely all right question number seven, seven. i'm glad you're keeping track um, do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there something you enjoy that eh, maybe you wouldn't want to quite admit? Uh, guilty pleasure. Not, not, I, I'm 
accountable in an open book. So I would say I have no weird fetishes, if that's what you're getting at. And I was kind of talking to my friends the other day. I'm like, I'm kind of upset. I don't have any sort of weird, like creepy thing about me when I'm trying to, you know, talk to women. Yeah, see, it's funny. Somebody else I asked that question to took it the same way. And and it's like, that's not really what I'm saying. It'd be like, no, but, you know, you're a tough guy, but no one really knows you like to watch romantic comedies. That's what yeah, I, I get. That. Not, not, would, not with your, whatever your deviant behavior is behind closed okay. I am a tough guy, and I am very, like, creative and driven via emotion. Uh, sometimes when I'm working out, the music I'll listen to, it's not... It's not a guilty pleasure because I'm not embarrassed by it, but it's something you wouldn't know. Like, I have a lot of orchestral music and classical and film score kind of stuff. And I don't know, that just puts me in, like, a different mental place than it would, like, I could listen to screaming rock or, like, heavy rap, but I don't get into a mental place as, like... like a kind of scorey film and that's kind of where i derived the theme music from too it's very score oriented uh this isn't a guilty pleasure this is just i mean i'm jacked i'm shredded i'm lean as hell uh i'm very nuanced and micromanaged with like diet nutrition like all these potions and formulas and powders here and that like i'm insane sociopathic dare i say about it but if i'm not if i'm on if I decide to have a cheat meal or even two, I just binge. Like I go absolutely overboard to the fullest extent my body will have like take it. And then I keep going until I'm like crippled <laughs> in bed, puffed up, just barely moving, feeling horrible. And I, I do it anytime I do it. It's it's a curse. It's the but I mean, the next day I'm working my ass off again. So I don't know, because I deprive myself of it, that I seek it out in abundance when I actually allow myself to have it, where a normal person could just mod- have moderate, like, yeah, I'll have a little piece of that candy bar. Hmm, that was good. I'm feeling good about it. If I have a little piece of that candy bar, I'm punching grandma in the face to grab the rest of the candy bars. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand I have probably other guilty pleasures, but I think two is enough. Yeah, well, look, I don't think the uh, the classical music is in any way uh, a guilty. Now, if you would have told me, like I'm picturing you working out, intense, like you said, shredded, you're sweating, you know, you're doing the whole thing, and you tell me that you're listening to like um, In Sync or the Backstreet Boys. Now, yeah, that no. I think would be a guilty pleasure, but nothing wrong with listening to some some movie scores or uh, yeah. orchestra. No, that's that's cool. Actually. First off, I would never listen to Backstreet Boys. I'm strictly an NSYNC fan. Secondly, that's my party music, but yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, the soundtracks when I'm like hanging out with friends and partying it down. Some of the dirt worst music you've ever heard. Yeah, NSYNC, all sorts of stuff. Oof. Okay, well that, that that's a guilty pleasure. That, I have to say. Okay, question number eight. Who would play you in your life story? Mm. There was like a time machine that could, because he's older than me. It'd be John Hamm, but on like one of those Hollywood six months where they become complete civilians into like jacked up superheroes. I don't know how they get 
that that fast. I think I think John Hamm would be good. That'd be, okay. Yeah, I'd be proud of that. Though his facial hair is so much better than mine. I wish I had that five o'clock shadow. Yeah, well, hey, you're working with what you got. You're doing a good job with what you got. Thanks, bro. All right, question number nine. This is also along the uh, celebrity uh, line of questions here. Who is your celebrity crush? Don't tell me you don't have one, because we all do. I think it would have been growing up Kelly Kapowski. That has been said before on this. I, I know, and I wish I could think of a more original answer, so let me... <laughs> yeah, so, hey, your the, Okay. Uh, though the show went off the rails towards the end, Entourage, uh, the brunette girl that was E's girlfriend, and I hated E, and it just like drove me crazy. There's no way this beautiful woman with personality would date this five foot three little dweeb that, like it upset me I, right she should be I dating her, three yeah well yeah. she should i think her name's emmanuel Cherokee, i believe it was would be another one and then uh who's a modern crush i can't think of one person I took, a, I took a vow of celibacy after the pandemic to really focus on the character, so it's not really thinking about it. Okay, so that's why you're so <laughs> that's why you're so angry. You get all this. That's why I'm so that's why I'm so good. And it's funny when you restrict yourself, how much more women are into you. So yeah, boys, if you're having trouble with ladies, swear them off. They'll come crawling and begging. Oh God, I can't say that, can I? Yeah. Well, hey man, let's try. I'm, let's try like this. Take two. Okay, so I'm, men, if you're having trouble finding ladies, just swear swear yourself off, and they'll come calling. Well, trust me, I'm married, so celibacy is a way of life. Okay, question number ten. We've come to the last one. I had this one all planned, although you kind of rained on it a little bit because you're not really into the, the Browns as much as you used to be. But here's the question: If you could redo the 2018 NFL Draft, and you're the Cleveland Browns with the number one overall pick, knowing what you know now, are you going Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson? With the number one pick? I mean, Lamar. Because, you know, Baker Lamar, went number one and Lamar went number yeah. three. I would have been very happy if we had the 15th pick and had Lamar. I think based it's hard to say because obviously Lamar is straight up winging it, running it, a statistical anomaly. If he was in Cleveland, I don't think he would have that success. I think. Why is that? I think because they were so piss poorly managed, they were not in the right franchise to mold him and allow him to learn it the right way. Hmm. I think, uh, Baker is a natural born winner and was able to overcome the disorganization of the top of the Cleveland Browns system. Though, I mean, great first year, blah, second year, that happens to a lot of great quarterbacks. This year he's pretty good, but he's not, you know, statistically what Lamar is. So hindsight being 2020, I don't think Lamar would be as successful in Cleveland. So I, I don't want to wish it on him. Right. right. Baker was able to make it work. Uh, Lamar seems like a nice guy who's doing really well. I'm happy for his success. I don't want him to have not have had it, so I will keep the draft the same. 
But not saying that Baker's better than Lamar, because I'm not. I think that's a very fair, fair diplomatic answer. I was just going to compliment you on that. Was a very uh, thoughtful, incisive, and uh, insightful. I should say, yeah, very, yeah. very good, and and diplomatic. Yeah, well done. Thank you. All right. Well, was there anything you want to say to the Ring of Honor fans that are listening to this show about? Uh, what they can expect from you going forward, what your plans are, and just, uh, you know, what what they can expect from EC3. Well, I've heard tall tales about the honor that Ring of Honor possesses, and I've come here to see if honor is real. What defines honor? I need to know what honor truly is. Is it what, doing moves in a wrestling ring to reactions, or is it more? Is it deeper? Is there honor in a fight? Is there honor in great fights with true emotion and true grit? Is there honor in reinventing the industry in a way that maybe not going along with exactly what everyone else is doing with the group think and the consensus and everything is the same? Is there honor in me being able to free these fans by doing something completely different and not being relegated to the typical snarky comments of, what they may think wrestling is and what it actually can be with foresight, truth, honesty, freedom to create. So is honor real? We'll put that name to the test. Well, certainly looking forward to it. Uh, where can we find you on uh, social media? Well, we start at my website, www.freeec3.com. By the time this podcast airs, it should be, filled to the brim with every narrative I'm involved in, my personal narrative, from my impact narrative, now to this illustrious and interesting and intriguing Ring of Honor narrative, all in some sort of tree of mind-bending like philosophy that maybe, well, this guy's up to something completely different. Then, after that, you can click on the link tree. All right, where are we at? At the real EC3 on Instagram, at the real EC3 on Twitter, at the real EC3 facebook please like it because wwe always had control of our facebook pages i never saw it once and i had all hundreds of thousands of likes and now i have like five thousand it's it's pathetic because i had to restart it late in this game that's okay you can find me on tiktok never <laughs> not once will i be there other forms of social media seem to be emerging too so i mean if they catch wind i'll probably be at the really c3 there yeah, check out the website though. I'm available. I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm pretty accessible, especially what's interesting about the essential character is how forthright and forthcoming a lot of people have been seeing messages I'm delivering and how that seems like I'm speaking to them, which is interesting from uh, just a pro wrestler. And I'm not saying that to boast myself because self-praise sucks but I'm saying that seeing that I do have influence in people, if you have things, if this means something to you and you need to, if you take a shot, shoot me a message, I might read it. And sometimes I read them over on my website and the podcast I do sometimes too. So I like seeing stories and then if I can provide insight from, I mean, I've lived life. I have plenty of life to live. My path brought me, here, maybe I can provide insight, maybe I don't, but it's worth a discussion. And 
yeah, freedom to think, freedom to speak, freedom to feel, freedom to act. They're all very important to me. So you're free to speak to me. We're free to have a discussion. And hey, we might have a discussion where we disagree, but we can mutually agree it's okay to disagree. Outstanding. Awesome, man. Well, hey, man, you, yeah, you, definitely, you definitely have uh, definitely putting out a message there, I think, that makes people think and ask questions. And uh, that's always a good thing. So uh, it's a big thing for me just to think and ask questions and not demand the answers right away right. or allow the come to your own conclusion, control your narrative. It's really big for me, too, because a lot of things I see in this industry, especially with fans, are they feel they have to fall in line with what other people are thinking. I can, it's like watching a match and you go, that was a good match. I enjoyed that. That was great. But then you read someone's report of it. Like this match sucked. You're like, I guess it did. Don't believe other people's opinions. What you think is what you feel and stick with it. And only then can we take back and have a conducive discussion to allow this business to grow. So it's not so off-putting to someone who might not know it or kind of falling into it to see such negativity, you know, things like that. Just think for yourself, I'm begging you. I'm begging you not to pay money to read someone's match review. I'm begging you to watch it, digest it, take from it what you liked, understand what you disliked. It's okay to dislike it too, but do it on your own merits and your own thoughts, not someone else's. Words of wisdom, my friend. It was, uh, man, it was great catching up to you, catching up with you, I should say. It's been, it's been too long, but uh, thanks so much. You've been really yeah. generous with your time. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it'd be really great. Maybe uh, when this pandemic's over, we can actually see each other at a television taping. That would be great because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, I got to be honest with you, man. I'm not, uh, well, number one, it's only essential not to steal your gimmick of the essential character, but it's only essential personnel, as you know, with TV, I've been deemed non-essential and which is fine with me because I don't know that I want to live in the bubble for a week and um, take all the testing that's required. So, but yes, yeah, somewhere down the line for sure. Uh, I'm sure we'll be in each other's presence again and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Absolutely. All right. I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong Podcast will be available. This is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong. Uh, you are listening to ROH Strong, and, uh, you know, thank you very much. And uh, we... we Thank you.